Within so many of our collective spaces and organizations, many of us experience a range of interpersonal oppression that actively sabotages our collective efforts to create new societies. Obviously, much of this comes from the way that our societies are structured. Though there is a range of nuance and difference between our communities, many of us have grown up within contexts that have both encouraged and obscured capitalism's persistent racialized class war. This has impacted all of our values, attitudes, and actions. In all of these areas, we have a lot of work to do to unlearn our harmful beliefs and to help build toward more healthy societies that work for us all. But before I continue presenting this conversation, I want to introduce the two people you'll hear throughout it. First, you'll definitely hear me. My name is Nicole, and my voice might be somewhat familiar for anyone who has listened to the few episodes of the APN's podcast, Smash the Class. Second, you'll be listening to Sonia. They've also appeared on one of our episodes. We're two of the coordinating members of the APN. And just for the record, our pronouns are they and them. This conversation that we had was recorded as a special episode of Smash the Class for our first ever School Revolt, a festival that aims to highlight the work that people are doing to create learning spaces outside of the capitalist structures. Much of our conversation came about as a result of gatekeeping that we've directly experienced in both our coerced capitalist experiences of work and schooling, but also within our activist spaces. A lot of what we talk about are things that we've noticed from those around us and how they've treated us in response to our gender, both actual and perceived, our migration status, the families we have, our queerness, and our own disabilities. We've also had to work on dismantling internalized bigotries because of how deeply connected so much of what we're taught from birth is to those lines of exclusion and neglect. But we've also recognized some of this as part of our privileges when we've reflected on our past behaviors and we've explored, learned, and integrated more knowledge from marginalized communities that we're not a part of. As we've learned from many Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, as we've learned from members of dispossessed communities like the many different Roma peoples, we've had to come to terms with how our whiteness and the concept of whiteness have impacted and continue to impact our views. As part of our own individual learning process, we talk about why unlearning is part of our individual accountability and how it can and should be an intrinsic process for anarchists and radicals to be built collectively. In unlearning all bigotries in our communication and our actions, we could actually use the principles of dual power in our learning process as part of our revolutionary activity. These principles, just as a reminder, include direct democracy and consensus, direct action, and mutual aid. Though it must be said that we extend mutual aid further in this discussion and in our own values, mutual aid must also exist with mutual care and support. As we unlearn capitalist values, hierarchies, and attitudes, this means that we have to actually walk the talk. In fact, behaving according to anarchic values necessitates that we stand and defend ideals such as solidarity, mutual aid, and freedom for all. In this talk, we'll critique and expand on the notion of rationality as foundation for learning, discussing the concept of sentimentsamiento as a gathered action to fill mutual aid with mutual care as well. Sentimentsamiento is a concept and action that bridges the gap between feeling and thinking, recognizing that the logical simply cannot function without including the emotional. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Sonia, whenever we talk, we have a lot of good conversations about unlearning. 
what do we want to talk about today? Well, I think today we could continue with our last conversation we had, yeah, some weeks ago, where we actually, uh, you and I have been talking about how a lot of people is very focused on the learning part when it comes to anarchist pedagogies, which of course is natural because it's a process that goes on the whole life, right? I mean, learning is life. And at the same time, based on many experiences we have made uh, through our lives, we see also that there's a necessity to talk about and discuss what the, that we need to unlearn from time to time. And this is because, well, you know, we grow up in capitalist societies with certain cultural signs, which means that we are biased, that though we define ourselves as anarchists, we walk around with certain knowledges and structures and classifications in our heads that actually might be a very big obstacle to to create the societies we want to create and actually to be able to cooperate with other people that have been historically and are still very oppressed. So that's that's why we thought about that we would talk about learning today. That sounds like a great idea for me. There are definitely a lot of like capitalist structures that I have been noticing a lot of issues with, <laughs> um, which is kind of obvious as a statement. <laughs> But namely that we have a lot of people who very much need to work on unlearning some of these oppressive structures within those spaces and outside of them as well. Yes, and and um, the last times you and I talked together, we we are always, you know, in anarchism, we always think about this collective uh, tradition and uh, dynamics we have to build, right? But at the same time, when, when I've been thinking about the, the necessity of unlearning uh, prejudices and unlearning racist, ableist um, ways of thinking, uh, then uh, I think it's important to, to be aware that we have this individual accountability as anarchists to work uh, concrete with this unlearning process, which means that in, a, in order of being able to unlearn, first we have actually have to be humble enough and to listen to other people. I mean, now here there's two non-binary people. We are white, both of us, which means that we are in many situations in very privileged positions, right? So that means that if we are going to be able to open up and build up together with other people that are much more oppressed than we are, and that perhaps are not able actually uh, because of this oppression to be able to collaborate as we all would like to do it together. Here is when this, this very much of this privilege and very much of this uh, racistic and ableist learning we have had, here comes this accountability. How are we going to unlearn this, enable to make space, enable to give space to other people, you know, to be free as well? Because what we see now in a lot of our spaces is that, is that, that, that we reproduce the oppression when we haven't been unlearning, right? That's what 
a lot of us are actually experiencing, and we see this constantly if we are aware of listening to a lot of comrades that out there that are telling, of course, that they need safe spaces in order to build up based on their material realities. And a lot of us with our privileges and prejudices and reproduction of oppressive ideas and dynamics, we are in, we are in the way <laughs> of people's liberation, actually. So there we go again. The question is, how can we unlearn these processes and be, be held accountable for these biases we actually bear with us. I wish I had a straight, like concrete answer as to how we can unlearn these processes because they are just so, they are so vast and interconnected with so much of what we are dealing with. So it's like, even just looking at some of the communities that I have been a part of uh, throughout my life, both activist and also just in terms of education, um, there is always just this constant feeling of like picking up after other people. <laughs> um, and just this whole idea that even as people are working towards like trying to create a community or a space that will in, uh, enable and encourage you know, marginalized and vulnerable communities to be part of it, that they're constantly doing things that are the exact opposite. Like they aren't paying attention to their word choice, you know, the levels of microaggressions. But then they're also just not paying attention to how these whole organizations can completely perpetuate the same kinds of actions. So like even when I look at like the students that I work with, um, as I told you many times, I just kind of watch like these different groups of students. But I always tend to notice who um, builds up like these really safe spaces for other students and who kind of encourages more learning. And I kind of notice like the same patterns of, say, a lot of the girls pushing for this versus a lot of the boys kind of just being passive recipients, um, unless they're being like actively provoked into doing it, uh, which isn't to say that they couldn't be active participants, it's just that they tend to be a bit more passive. It's really difficult to actually think about like, how do you get these people to break out of this? Like, how do you get people to recognize um, their, like their position in, be more aware of where they are in these spaces and how much space they actually take up in those areas. I think it's absolutely um, a good point. I think also about the patriarchal part of it, that it might be, of course, also these gender conditions that do that, you know, certain genders are, you know, <laughs> um, interconnected with other factors as of course uh, ethnicity and religion and of course uh, function. Um, we see individuals that they just become passive and they don't want to be to have the responsibility to actually change themselves. But I think also that perhaps this this lack of accountability that people doesn't want to take responsibility to walk the talk because that's the thing, to be consistent and to be coherent in what, yes, you can define yourself as an anarchist, but if you, if you don't behave like one, then that's why we are not getting anywhere, you see, because actually this, it's the practice, it's the material reality, and that starts with us, with every person.
But I think that uh, what I've noticed a lot among my students and, you know, I teach at the university and, and a lot of them, uh, we, in, in our societies, we have created this idea again that in order that learning is attached to a certain goal. And the goal is to be prepared to be in the workforce. But then again, if we could actually detach that because it's not true, we learn all the time. And, but this, the thing is that we need that unlearning as well to, to be better people. And even to be anarchists, we have to understand that uh, uh, in all these years, I've been in contact with people that define themselves as anarchists, but again, they, we have all these internal problems all the time with anarchists that are abusive, of course, and anarchists that are reproducing this patriarchal uh, uh, attitudes, we, but at the same time, when they get confronted or they've been asked to to be account to be held accountable for their their behaviors, they don't want to because then again, people get used and love this power, and this is something we also should should talk about, right? About the the unlearning process. It has to be also a way for us privileged people in different situations. A, a way to say, no, I just give up my power and this has to be a shared situation. It has to be a shared power. But the thing is that that's what I see, especially with some adults, that they don't, they think that they are done learning. That they are, some people actually even might think that when they are 18, they are done growing. Okay, I've done everything I need in my life. I'm 18. I can have my driving license. In some countries, they can drink alcohol. Oh, I'm a grown up. Then I'm done. I don't need to learn anything else. Don't try to come here and tell me, right, <laughs> that I need to change because this is not how life works. And here, here do we have this really big problem? Because when we walk around thinking that we are, done as humans, right? That we are a perfect result of what the capitalist system has told us to do, that when you're 18, you're an adult and you're done. This actually takes away a lot of that accountability we need to unlearn. Because somebody, I mean, everybody should know that we learn until we transition. Some people call it die, fine enough. But until we transition, we learn. And sometimes what we have learned is wrong. That's what people have to understand. Not everything we are get, being taught by our families, our closest social circles, our friends, or even or especially at school, that is absolutely a white, abled, exclusionary uh, area and colonialistic, I mean, by all means. So that's when we should be critical and say, okay, they are showing me this information. They are telling me that I'm a white saver. I'm telling, I'm te they are telling me that I'm civilized. I'm telling, well, don't believe it because that's not how the war is and that's not who we are. But that's the thing here we have, we have all these challenges. And, but the idea with talking with you, Nicole today, and that's, you know, that's what I like is actually, yeah. How can we manage to open people's minds to that that yeah, it's actually good and healthy and liberating to be able to say, okay, what I learned in the fifth grade, it was shit. And I'm oppressing people with that way of thinking and I'm actually treating people really badly because, of the, of, because I think I'm entitled to do so. 
And here, this is what fellow anarchists, this is what we have to talk about. I notice this so much. Like, um, I think one of my favorite examples of this, and I say favorite in like high sarcasm here, uh, is like when you try to talk to other anarchists about like education and even about things like youth liberation that occasionally you get a lot of pushback where it's like, but how else can we educate children? And it's kind of like, you say you're an anarchist. Do you have any other ideas that perhaps we could maybe figure out? Do we have any other communities who might have had to, you know, uh, help their children to learn uh, because they couldn't access this formal education space that honestly we should be questioning every single day? Uh, and it's just this very interesting structure where you just have these very liberal minded people. <laughs> um, and it's not to say that they're, you know, that they're not trying to be anarchist in any kind of way, but that they still have, they're still stuck or trapped in this space. And I always just found it very interesting. And it's also one of the other things too, where it's like, I've um, had to deal with a number of anarchists who are like, but if you're not a parent, and it's like, well, that's a weird way of looking at your child as an anarchist. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it kind of, it, it's one of those things that it definitely starts with like your immediate views, like at home, uh, literally, <laughs> and how you actually start viewing the children around you who then also grow up. But then also, like you were saying too, um, that we, we have this bizarre mentality that we just, we're, we graduate high school or we graduate university or like, you know, we get to that next level and then finally we're done. We have learned all there is to know. We have learned everything that there is to be understood. Um, when that's just like, it's completely not true. Uh, you know, because like what initially many years ago drove me to want to be a teacher was that I could be a professional learner, uh, not just someone who taught other people. I could actually go through and start looking at all the different things. But like, you know, looking at the curriculum, I'm always going like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, I think what was it the one that I sent you before where it was like all the psychology stuff where it was very ableist in the textbook and just focusing so much on like how abnormal people are and you're going like oh my god like we still can't even get out of this in just one area of study and so it definitely is a huge huge obstacle to get people out of it but i do know that for me like whenever i am i'm trying to dismantle that as much as i possibly can <laughs> but it also just involves like a lot of space uh well giving a lot of space to people to be able to explore those ideas. So instead of just like going, well, I'm not going to talk to you about eugenics, <laughs> which is not exactly the happiest of things, but you know, I don't want to shy away from it because we still actively engage in it. And yet we aren't dealing with that in particular. So, you know, like I always find that like giving people space to explore the ideas that they're typically not allowed to explore is something that we really like we have to do. <laughs> yes, I very much agree with that. And even um, I think that in informal educational spaces, which means that it's the whole society <laughs> everywhere, uh, that's exactly the way to, when you're talking about, Nicole, that we should be open to other ideas and even feedbacks. That's what I think that still some adults don't understand that there's limits, right? Because when I see, for instance, if you see in social media, 
that there's a lot of people, uh, oppressed people explaining how they experience the situation and they say out loud how they want to deal with the situation. There's always this white, cis-head, uh, ableist, uh, yeah, uh, mansplaining a lot of times. When, when people don't understand or don't agree, they are even having this extractivist way of asking, you know, to get information because they say they want to learn. But we have to be really careful in these unlearning processes. If we are going to be accountable, we also have to be responsible, you know, of searching the information. Of course, people can point at where you could find it, but nobody owes us the work, the care work that means to be teach to be teaching somebody, right? Uh, because it's an emotional load for many people, right? Trying to explain the traumas that perhaps they are experiencing uh, in this oppression, in these hierarchies in our societies, in this capitalist exploitation. And I see often, right, that that. Uh, when oppressed people uh, are telling that they want to, to, for instance, they want certain rules when it comes to interaction, right? To feel safe. And there's a lot of privileged radical people and anarchists that they just expect to, to get this served. Uh, and they get mad when they don't, right? So we have really, I think for me, actually, it's it's important to, to, to make this limit very clear, right? That in this unlearning process, people don't owe us to do the work. That's important, right? Because really some people expect it that, hey, give me all the links. Where, where's, it's almost that they have to convince us in order to unlearn, right? It's like, prove it. <laughs> Show me who said that. And it's not like that. You see, I mean, we could be able to trust and to be, again, humble and think that it doesn't matter how much you love anarchist principles, because you can love them on paper. Sure, go ahead. I mean, you can do whatever you want. But then again, we need to analyze our own our values. And as you said before, Nicole, as well, it has to do with how we communicate. I think, I don't know how other people do, but when I'm in social media, I'm not social because that means that I read a lot, that for me, it's a way of listening. And then I'm mostly quiet because that's the only way, you see, that's why we have two ears and just one mouth. I think <laughs> a lot of people should keep the mouth more shut a little bit more often because that's the way you perhaps can learn. And at the same time, of course, we have to talk because it's through this interaction that we unlearn getting feedback and changing these values and the way we talk to each other. But believe me, sometimes and historically speaking, it's just a certain group of people who have had the word the last 500 years, right? This is ethnocentrist. We have been in the center. We have been on the top. And we think some of us some people think that they are still there so that's why when i look at social media that's why for me it's also a learning tool a lot 
if you follow people, actually, it's not, I don't know why we have this meaning of debating all the time. You don't have to fight people, but really. And I'm not talking about fascists and neo-Nazis and everybody, those get blocked, turfs get blocked and all that, right? Hatred and, and oppression, we don't want that shit, just clean that out. But I'm talking about among radical people and anarchists, if we really want to be able to construct other worlds and in plural, please, I mean, not one, a lot, that can actually connect and, and cooperate together, Believe me, that's think about that, that we, some of us that historically speaking are positioned in this privileged uh, hierarchies in on the top, we really have to use more of our ears and try really to analyze these dynamics and values. And if somebody says, no, you're not allowed in our space, then you say, okay, that's fine. And then you go ahead and do something else. See, instead of starting, you know, trying to push and again, use that power, formal or informal or institutional, you know, to, to co continue oppressing people in other ways because you think you are right. So this, this is a, uh, I think this is something we have to talk about a little bit more. I say two of the things you reminded me of is, well, first, I absolutely love that both of us fail at social media. Um, like we're not doing the social part. Like I, I, I might go on with my, my wonderful threads of, you know, complaints, but uh, <laughs> largely I'm doing it the same thing where it's like, I'm just listening, I'm reading, I'm kind of paying attention because there's so much happening that I, like, I don't have the ability to speak on every single topic. And if someone thinks they have that ability, they really need to just shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> because that's literally impossible to know every single thing. And it is quite exhausting to sit there and deal with people who are largely like, uh, like right now I'm listening to a bunch of like, you know, US leftists who are sitting there constantly talking about Russia and Ukraine as if they have any idea of what's going on here and it's like hi guys i'm literally next door to one of these countries and i don't know every single thing that's going on here like it's impossible for me to know every single thing i have an inkling on some things i listen to other people who are here i listen to like what's going on i try to pay attention but you know largely it's like i don't have the capacity to understand every single thing. So it's like, it's not for me to really speak on. It is for me to, you know, listen and figure out like what's happening. So when I hear people who are rightfully going like, well, you're talking about like, say Russia and Ukraine, but why aren't you talking about like the US and Somalia? It's like, yeah, why aren't we talking about that? So like we do need to be able to hold space for so many like multiple ideas. And I don't see uh, tons of people doing that, but that's kind of how I also tend to use social media as well, is to be able to focus on these multiple nuances of you know similar topics, maybe not the same ones and kind of go like, well, if I'm paying attention to one, I really should pay attention to the other. Like, why am I not looking at Israel and Syria? Um, why is that not being discussed? And, you know, asking those questions. So it's like, that's kind of also how I tend to use social media. But then the, oh, the other thing I've just totally blanked on. 
I need a reminder of what it was that you were saying so I can actually think. <laughs> well, I don't remember myself, so here we are. <laughs> but what I wanted to remind you also, Nicole, is that the last times we talked about unlearning, the thing that we wanted to actually give, talk about this is because we, you and I have been criticizing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, the, the, that principle in anarchist pedagogies that is based on rationality. Yeah. And here we come to the next topic in a way that we wanted to talk about, and it's related to unlearning, and is that uh, if we see at how oppression has been working, and there's a, a, a lot of people who has talk, talked about this, um, uh, when it comes to uh, yeah, the rationality to learn. Um, lately, uh, I've been reading uh, uh, and listening a lot to Joy James. I mean, I'm, I'm going to read even more because I think she has really <laughs> interesting analyses and yeah, uh, really, really good stuff. Um, the thing is that when it comes to this, when we think a lot in, in anarchist pedagogies that we think that learning is based on rationality, this lacks a lot, a lot. And that also shows us why schools, formal schools, were used as colonialistic tools, right? Because there's a lot of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color that were sent to these boarding schools or to, to other types of school because they thought that families, right, in, this, in, in these collectives and territories, they were not rational enough. They were going to be civilized through this white so-called rationality. But if we are going to go a step further when it comes to anarchist pedagogies, we need to add the emotional part. And this is how I know that you and I have been, you know, talking about that. No, when we learn, we actually, an important part of learning, it's also to care and it's to show it, right? Um, so this is a critique that, it's a critique, but at the same time, I would love to expand it with you, Nicole, and with many other people, that we have to build on that rationality, just, you know, try to, and try to balance it with this, the feeling, the care, the emotional part. And here is where we wanted to introduce this word that actually belongs or, or started with activists from Abiyala, what people knows as South America and yeah, Central America, that it's el sentipensamiento. And this is a word that I loved when I first read about it because I thought, yes, <laughs> they are joining the feeling. That's what we do. We are human. We feel all together with the thinking part, right? And this is actually something, again, that I, I would love that anarchist educators and facilitators and people are aware of when we are fighting against each other and saying, oh, you know, but you're just being emotional. This is something, you know, femme people, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, we hear that all the time, right? That we are being emotional, like, the, like it's something bad. But this is a way actually of denying 
our experiences. That's, that's it. So when we talk about this unlearning process, a part of it could be to, again, put this, not necessarily, like I said, di pensamiento, but yes, expand the idea of rationality that we don't want that, that white rationality anymore. We don't need it anymore. It's extremely awful. Also, like, um, I think it's really important to recognize that this is not like that senti- uh Oh my God, I'm always so bad at saying it. But I think it's really important to recognize that like senti pensamiento is not going to be the same as or even identical to what a lot of English speakers might know as the social and emotional learning that has been like co-opted and put into schools, um, which often is framed around largely white perspectives of what kind of education is acceptable or what kind of emotions are acceptable and what kind of responses to certain behaviors are acceptable and don't often consider things like um like how often like a what was it, a certain kind of bigotry which is very vague but it's like how often kids experience like you know um queer phobia in any form transphobia racism ableism um <laughs> a whole range of bigotries like everything really but it's like sel is what it's typically called is completely different and is definitely a more liberal form of co-opting the idea that like yes emotions do live in schools and are part of our academics um but this idea very much isn't <laughs> like it is more focused on what is it bringing together a lot more of the kind of like understanding how our feelings in the present and how we're doing things in the present impact the learning that we're continuing to do and then like also being able to continue understanding like the harmony between thought and feeling right yeah that's the thing you said something because historically speaking there have been this difference between rationality and feelings it was uh, the dear french philosopher descartes who came with this awful idea right uh, and then even before him but you see he actually positioned this and this is also a bit of how hierarchies were made as well the ones on the top are the rationals right and the rest of us we are not and that's why even in certain political circles, um, they deny the existence of emotions, right? It's really bad. You cannot be emotional. I mean, our experience don't mean anything. They don't believe in that because it's just a theory, right? So this is one, yeah, one of the extremes. But if, if, we, if we go back to this reclaiming why unlearning is important is actually because if we are if we are going to be able to connect and to cooperate, we have to be able to trust and believe other people's experiences and take it as a very important source of learning, right? That is the idea. That's what sentipensamiento comes in. Uh-huh. Because, yes, <laughs> because that's the thing. Um, uh, if we are just going to hear to people that is seen as rational, and that means also usually having certain positions in society, 
then the rest of the people gets ignored. Their experiences are not important, right? But then with Sentipensamiento, here comes the radical idea again to balance. To balance that, yes, when we learn, when we exist, we are both and even more. We are not just emotions and rationality. We're even more than this, right? We are our experiences and everything is interconnected. And I think that this is what a, this is what we as educators or even, yes, as anarchists, we have to be aware of, right? Not to deny other people's experiences. And this is important and not to deny other people's opinions because when people are asking us to, you know, to not to comment, I say that often. I follow this wonderful group, the Afrofuturist Abolitionists of the America, and it's often in several social media, you know, they have their status or they share information and then they write, non-black, right? Non-blacks cannot comment or just, just black comments only. Well, then you listen and you do as they say. It's not difficult, people. Of course, everybody has a meaning, but that doesn't mean you have to share it all the time. See, it's you're not. <laughs> we are, cannot. Um, we don't need to be part of those conversations. If no, if, like if we're we, not. Like we can listen to them if they're yes. if we're allowed. Like yes, if they are taking place in public. But like we don't need to always be able to be like, hi, I need to have my opinion on what you're trying to. Like exactly because it's denying people's experiences number one and it's oppressive again right we are colonizing uh, a space that it it's not ours and they are telling us what they expect then do it and it's again here comes this unlearning right and a lot of white people do need to have this unlearning process we walk around with this internalized white savior complex that's why a lot of white people comment on things that are not our business at all see and not just because they're on social media and they're public it just means that people are interested in your opinion because we have been having our opinions and our voices again, up there, everywhere, on public, for a lot of time. So I think, again, this unlearning, it's important to, to, to be respectful and humble to other people's feelings and experiences. It's important. We see this all the time, Nicole, also. For not a while ago, uh, for a while ago, it was uh, several problems in this, uh, in Spain, Right, because there's uh, several cases of sexual abuse in uh, certain anarchist <laughs> circles, and you, right? If you're thinking that okay, anarchism stands for all uh, against all forms of repression, but then again, again, we saw this reproduction. Yes, and what was the answer? The 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 women and uh, some men that were were fighting again against these sexual abusers they were thrown out of the institutions and the organizations, see? While the abusers were there, because the final goal was to keep the organizations going, this is not acceptable, see? And there we could see how sometimes when we talk about collective unlearning, when you don't believe in people's experiences and you don't respect people's feelings, then you take the side of the oppressor. That's what you do. And that's why this unlearning, it's so important to do, yes, as an in, uh, accountable individuals, but also collective 
when we are in these situations, what side do we choose and how do we react? It just kind of reminds me of conversations I keep having um, with kind of like the local anarcho-syndicalist union. Um, And as you're well aware, because you've received multiple messages to this effect, but like how they just will not interact with migrants. Like they will literally just say, hey, we don't have the resources to do this. And you're kind of going like, gee, I wonder why you don't have the resources to do this. Like, whatever. Um, But then they're just like, well, this is not the forefront of the movement here like the the migrants aren't the forefront here and it's like well unfortunately for you they should be pretty much at the front for multiple reasons because like they are some of the more um vulnerable people in our society like not the only but some of the more vulnerable ones and to hear an anarcho-syndicalist trade union continually push back against this where it's like oh well you know we don't want to Uh, deal with this because we just don't have the ability we don't have the resources to do this and you're kind of going like well not only will you never have those resources to do that because you are automatically excluding people who are really interested in this and for whom it actually is something that impacts them and you know even though I am what is seen as a very privileged migrant because I do come from the U.S., um, I still face a lot of this, not the identical, but some of the same issues in terms of like exploitative labor practices and manipulation of labor laws and wrongly classifying people as certain things because of immigration laws or visas or taxes. Where So it's like, I know what that is and I will always stand on the side of any migrant really. But these groups will constantly push back. And instead of building these spaces that are also very safe for people to come out and say, hey, these things are hurting me, they continue to allow these dichotomies between citizens, for example, and non-citizens to grow instead of actually addressing them and unlearning how the state has actually been using these things to foster division. And it's very strange for me to see anarchists who should be, I don't know, for the migrants and against states and against borders, not actually come to terms with these things and to recognize how their own behaviors about not helping them are also hurting not only the migrants who are getting completely ignored um, or left out or not understanding the labor policies as they currently exist, but also themselves because like, if they don't fight for the most vulnerable in society, they're just going to also continue allowing themselves to get crushed. And they don't seem to understand how that works. And I really see this across like a whole range of perspectives and a whole range of like activism and organization. And it's kind of frustrating. It's not just kind of frustrating. I'm kind of like underestimating it for myself, but like it is so fucking annoying. And I think that with your example, you're actually showing a lot of these dilemmas we face, right? And as educators, this is when I walk around the house thinking, how the hell are we going to deconstruct this? And then it's when I started thinking about this I'm learning. But then, I I mean, I don't, I don't think we have any final answer to how could we unlearn 
collectively. Um, this is such big dynamics that are, we have to deal with internalized uh, bias and again, prejudices and this normalized uh, acceptance of, uh, of hierarchies right in our heads. Um, so this is a really uh, complex issues, right? I don't think it's complicated. I mean, if, if we actually all together could be, could agree that this is an important groundwork we should do together, I think this could be a good start, right? Um, of course, in addition to deal with everything that's going on in the world right now, this is on, on, on top of it. Um, but actually, I think that with, that with the example you explained now, Nicole, you are, um, you are showing how capitalism and especially neoliberalism has managed to fragmentate us in such ways that I wonder sometimes if it's possible to, to find each other again, right? To be able to cooperate again, because this, these divisions between, okay, who has the power, who's the rational one, who has the formal, uh, you know, answer, to what it, how things should be, um, and the and I think that one that's why we wanted to present the the not just the word sentimentamiento, but this is an action. That's what I'm trying to say, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. We can use all the words we want, but we cannot stop at the concept because it makes no sense, right? I mean, we have to do do it. It's the action that matters, and this is the thing. If we talk, if we go back to the principles in anarchism, uh, most people know them, right? The principle of the mutual care uh, and the direct action. Here we go, not just words, but actually do something. Direct action, and in some cases also this uh, direct democracy or consensus. But you and I, when we talk about interconnecting again, you and I have been talking about this mutual aid. This is what's not going on, some, uh, right? In some places, there's no mutual aid. Uh, some or like mutual care and support, and like just all of it together. That whole mutual aid, like we, you do hear anarchists talk about mutual aid, but definitely like mutual care, mutual support. These whole, which all go together, and it's like we're kind of missing the second, the last two things in this list. And when it comes to mutual aid, we're just like, okay, here's some. Uh, here's some stuff. Uh, I hope your material life is a little bit better, um, which is not to denigrate that because like those groups are awesome. But if that's the only thing they're doing, we are missing out on things that people genuinely need, like connections. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I agree. And it's great. It's great that you introduce now the action and is this mutual care. If you want I mean, if capitalism has done something and is actually to destroy us and to th to make us believe that we are just rational beings, at least some of us, not all, but some of us, they have got this message through history that they are the rational ones, right? But if we want to break this and in order to, again, gather each other, we need that, that care part that you're saying, 
that can that goes hand in hand with the senti pensamiento. Yes, we are humans, but that means that we have to take care of each other. That's not what capitalism stands for. That's absolutely not what neoliberalism stands for. And that's what we are seeing in the post this post-capitalist stage. Mutual aid is not enough. It's just an activity, but an activity without an emotion, an action that seems correct, ethically correct, without the emotional involvement, then we don't get far enough. And this is why a lot of people, yeah, in many groups, they they also inside the anarchist movements, inside radical movements, they're also criticizing this part. Because we have to be aware that in these microaggressions you explained at the beginning, there's these microaggressions also also happen because we have these internal hierarchies in our interpersonal relationships, right? We still think that one or several of us have power uh, on other people. But we have, that's why we have to go to this individual, not individual as a one person, I mean, uh, but as individuals then, <laughs> plural, <laughs> we have to go to that level in thinking that care work is what actually will keep us together and hopefully alive when we go through these times, right? And that it's entirely necessary <laughs> because like we just continually, I see a lot of things that have focused entirely on action and it's like action is a good thing and being able to show people what, like what you actually are feeling through actions does tell us a lot more than words, unfortunately, because like, you know, word, people can say whatever it is. I was going to say, people can say words. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, people can say whatever they want. And we, we're used to this because, like, obviously, we listen to politicians all the time. They have a platform. They say shit. And then they scrap it all whenever they get elected. Um, and it's just, like, a, a complete repeat all the time. So, like, we know that words are kind of meaningless and we tend to put a lot of emphasis on action. And so it's like, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Um, in fact, I do tend to also put a lot of emphasis on action in terms of like, you know, how my interpersonal relationships are. But I also notice that we put so much of an emphasis on it that we tend to forget there are some actions that people just cannot do, either because of like they feel like they're being crushed under a system and that they need to survive under because they have very few options and the mutual aid and mutual care hasn't quite gotten to them or hasn't recognized their existence. Um, so there's that part. But then also just in terms of like uh, what actions people are able to take depending on how able they are in terms of like, you know, for me, it's quite difficult because like there are just weeks where I am so completely drained <laughs> and fatigued um, from having to completely mask throughout my normal working life because, you know, uh, they don't want to acknowledge that I have ADHD. They don't want to acknowledge that, like, trying to do the things normally, quote, 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 um, <laughs> is really difficult as a dyslexic person. So occasionally reading just takes a lot of 
uh, effort out of me, and I'm also a literature teacher, so those two things don't combine wonderfully, and I have no support for that. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I'm just exhausted. So, like, there are times when I come home and that while I would love to do a lot of stuff, like, I just feel, like, I just have this capacity that just feels like I'm going to lay on the floor and take a nap like I don't even want to get like I've entered my home and I just want to lay down <laughs> I don't even want to go to bed I'm just gonna lay here <laughs> and so it's like we just don't think about like what capacities a person has and it's like while I am able-bodied like we also just ignore like what like physically disabled people might be capable of doing in their own capacity because like again I know a lot of my friends are saying, I love helping out, but it's like, I just don't have the capacity to do this because it is exhausting um, because they have a chronic illness or others who are like, I would love to go participate in this, but we keep putting shit in buildings that I can't access um, or in spaces I can't access for whatever reason. Um, and so it's like, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on action and I really wish that we would recognize the differences in action because we still view it through a very ableist lens. And so I think we need to understand that difference as well. That's a very good point. And when it comes to this inclusion in our movements, right, is also this awareness, number one, but also the... Uh, uh, the process of actually, yeah, listening to people and 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 valuing all the efforts people do. And sometimes, of course, we cannot uh, be in the front row all the time fighting and all everybody needs rest. But the truth is that there's a lot of people that cannot rest. And that's what I've been thinking. You know, sometimes when um, all these uh, attacks against uh, trans people or black people goes around and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm white and I'm non-binary. So when I feel that I get tired, I think, wow, now you have to put your shit together because there's people that they are not just tired. They are traumatized all the time. That's extremely tired to, to deal with, to feel in your body since the day you're born that you're not wished, that you're not perhaps loved like that by the so-called majority. I don't know what that is, but let's say that it's the, you know, the structural powers. I don't like to call that word the majority. I don't know what that is, but it's the, the, the structural powers and institutions and people there in the top hierarchies. Um, I think we also, exactly, we have to be aware of that we take for granted what other people go through. And that gets back, that takes us back to the importance of this sentipensamiento, right? That we have to believe and support people when they're experiencing things that we don't experience ourselves, right? When I read literature or I see uh, presentations from people in other continents, in other territories, uh, for instance, indigenous people in, in Mexico fighting constantly uh, against Bonafont, that it's an enterprise that are just stealing their water, like they are stealing water everywhere, like Nestle, all, all, these, all these corporations. Well, you have to believe that, of course, they're not just tired, they're exhausted. They are fighting for their lives. They're getting killed, they're getting kidnapped. And we, as we know, 
there's a lot of policies now that telling people that are fighting that they are terrorists. We know that in a lot of places. So I think that we being in other territories, that we have grown up with the privilege of being in peace, of now being attacked constantly, that that ability and that conscious choice of listening to people in able to unlearn this power we have got and these privileges, this is something if we actually concentrate in, in these anarchist pedagogies and education, this is nothing we can get done through the school system. Mm -mm. This is not, I mean, it's impossible, right? So how are we going to unlearn this then, Nicole? <laughs> uh, I wish I had an answer to that, like a concrete one. But I, I will agree that like in the schools, it's impossible because like, again, I don't know how many times I can mention it in varying platforms. Hi, I'm a teacher um, and I work in a school <laughs> for compulsory education uh, and like just the kinds of resistance that I see, even when I start implementing like slightly different books or giving giving children a choice about what books to read. Um, that one, that resistance was fantastic. Like, I don't know why that's such a problem. Um, but also just like, you know, trying to build space for sometimes just to give children the most basic thing of whatever you're interested in, learn about it, especially because I can do that in a literature class a lot easier than say, you know, the math teacher um, who has to follow specific guidelines and curriculum um, according to the state or according to some accreditation body or whatever, whereas literature is a bit more fluid and a bit open as long as I teach certain skills or mention them, <laughs> I can kind of get away with it. So it's like, it's really, there's no choice to do it in the school because of how, how resistant people are to this. Um, and even just something as basic as telling, like, telling a, your boss, like in my instance, telling your principal that a decision that they have made or something that's happening is actually actively harmful to you or telling them that, you know, these kids, I know that you think these kids are lazy, quote, 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 um, I'm just going to sit there because I air quoting all the time. I hate the use of the word lazy. But it's like every time they start mentioning how lazy kids are, that like even those quote lazy unquote kids really need to have space to exist and space to just be. And that sometimes like shit is happening that to them that they like they're tired of because, you know, they have a home life, they have family, they have friends, they have <laughs> Wars will impact them as well. Um, people that they love have been trying to do activism too and might have been arrested um, or just have been simply arrested for who they are because the police like to just choose people at random for being black, indigenous, um, brown, or Rome, like Roma where I'm at. <laughs> and, you know, like there's a lot of stuff happening <laughs> around them that impacts them or a lot of questions that they typically get pushed away from so they just they can't even get answers to stuff um something as simple as like talking about you know sex and reproduction with kids 
uh, is stripped from them. And so like children don't have access to, you know, some of the knowledge that they, they feel like they should have in order to protect themselves. And so they have to, you know, consciously make the effort to go like play scavenger hunts to find it. <laughs> and it's a bit ludicrous. So it's like, there's definitely no way that this can happen in schools. Um, I do think one of the ways to get there is that we actually need to recognize the humanity of children, that they are people um, and that they're not people who need to be controlled. And we also need to recognize the ableism that we have inherent in our views of children, because the way that we treat children is the way that we treat a lot of disabled people, um, you know, like particularly people with Down syndrome. We often have this view that like, if an adult with Down syndrome is incapable of making a decision for themselves because they supposedly, according to, you know, random people, don't have the capacity to make these decisions. But like if you, much like if you inform children, uh, much like if you inform an adult or anyone else about what's happening, we know that everyone is capable of at least making an informed decision, but you have to know how to do that. You have to know, like how to engage them and how to communicate information effectively. Like some people are going to need like, you know, a more limited vocabulary depending on who they are. I'm not going to go to a, a small child and start hitting them with an academic journal because they're not going to get it without me explaining half of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and when you mentioned this, both patient, time and support, that certain people might need to navigate, right? And to be free, because this is this liberation processes that we are looking for. Yeah, we all need support to do that, right? We have our, our own paths, our own battles, but actually, yeah, we can support each other. And, and this is actually this, the part of the mutual care that is lacking, because sometimes it's, uh, See, when you have a, 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 a victim of rape, you can give them a lot of information, right? You know, there's a pamphlet and there's here, here's the phone number and so on. And we don't they, need it. <laughs> right. But, right. But what you, what, what, uh, what, what victims and people that are oppressed or abused, what they need is the su emotional support and people that are around not criticizing, not telling them what to do, but being there where they are. And again, our situations are different, but, and, and the same structures are much more oppressive for some people than it is for others. But the, 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 the question remains, right? We that are in, in these privileged positions that unfortunately we have this internalized power dynamics and we keep reproducing these oppressive systems in our relationships in in the way we try to interact with other activists and, and other people this is actually what we should be working on because you gave the example of the of the the children right that they are always denied to be heard to be seen in many places even punished or understood yes because like you have trans kids who are just being like, well, how do you know that you're trans or like the same thing was happening with like 
you know, other queer kids. Like, how do you know that you are gay? How do you know you're a lesbian? It's like, how, how do you know you're straight? Like, how do you understand that you're a man? How do you understand that you're a woman? And it's the same kind of questions that we like, people just aren't getting those questions all the time where it's like, I always got, like, I still get it where it's like, how do you know you're non-binary? And it's like, well, how do you know you're a boy? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes, yes. No, but but this uh, this was actually a very good example of this bodily experience that is so connected, right? That that is not rational. For us non-binary people and trans people, it's difficult to explain to a cis-head person, well, yes, I know I'm (laughs) non-binary because that's I'm in contact with my own body and that's how I feel. I mean, how am I supposed to explain an experience you do not have? I mean, it's actually difficult but that's why you just have to listen to people and respect that that's how it is period right and in the same situation for some of us the situation might be very oppressive while others don't experience it the same way well then listen to those who are oppressed and I think this could be a way actually to interact better and cooperate better Right. If there was not just the disrespect, but the accountability, people with privileges, you need and you must unlearn this. I think this is because we have the again this much focus on on learning as an accumulative process that it's very similar to what capitalism right accumulation. No, it's not. I mean, you need to clean up. It's also a very individual process instead of being a collective community process. And I think that's a bigger, well, not a bigger, but like a huge part of why we are failing repeatedly to actually engage in functional learning because we see this as like, well, do did you get a degree in this? And it's like, well, I don't need to go get a degree in understanding other people's situations. Like... <laughs> I can't just talk to them. Um, I can't just read what they write. I can't just listen to the words they speak. I can just, you know, I don't need to accumulate that knowledge. I I don't even understand. Um, again, this goes back to like Paolo Frieri, which is a good I, thing of like that whole banking model of education. I don't need to, you know, fill my head full of facts, even if I accidentally do that on occasion. And sometimes those facts aren't useful. But it's like, I need to actually have the ability to communicate some of that information. I need to have the ability to integrate some of that information into how I behave and act and what we're doing and my critiques of other things. Like, I I can't just, you know, run around going like, I hate this and then not explaining why it is that I hate it or um, leaving at least a bread trail for someone else to find (laughs) or bread trail, a bread, a trail of breadcrumbs to get the analogy correct. <laughs> yeah, so it seems that it's a good conversation to have as educators or even people interested in actually, yeah, <laughs> changing societies and, and using this dual power. If you, be, if you think that dual power is a way to go on, to build societies, that that dual power is this, right? Mm -hmm. Deconstruction or even abolition, destruction of oppressive systems within capitalism, but at the same time, building up alternatives. When it comes to learning, then people, it's parallel, right? Then we have to unlearn in order to keep on learning together. And we also use this unlearning as a process like, 
like you mentioned, you said like it could be abolition. So like just the complete destruction of or removal of a system. But obviously like something has to exist to take that function or the perceived function, um, like safety and security, for example. Something has to exist in order to allow people to feel safe. We have to build something. But does it, it doesn't need to be like the capitalist structures have or like basically existed before capitalism, but we don't need a prison. Um, but we need to figure out something that will enable people to feel safe and secure without being, you know, too punitive, especially for really like, you know, low level shit. Like, oh no, you stole something. Like what do, do you deserve to be in prison for the rest of your life because you stole three things, for example? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me um, in that regards. But yeah, like we need to actually build these collective spaces that uh, take up those things and also to be willing to change them as we need, because that's the other part of it is that not only do we have to rebuild, but we need the flexibility to understand that our first idea could be wrong and we don't have to stick with that first idea or that's like maybe 5% of the first idea is right. We need to use that 5%, but then change the rest of it. Um, so like, we just need to have that flexibility. And that's something that I'm not also seeing that often in a lot of spaces where it's like a lot of uh, apprehension. Um, and I understand why there's that apprehension, but at the same time, it is, again, like everything else, really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and it might be because this, this um some people might need stability and of course we need some certain structures you know to function but uh but yeah it's important that they have we, we have to be able to adapt collectively right and we have we, we need to see that if the structures are not working for everybody then they are not working actually and then we have to believe and listen to people and if it, it has not to do with numbers but the experience again of how are we having it or how are we being included and how we, if we feel free and safe in our spaces? So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that I hope people start thinking about this and again, especially taking this accountability uh, uh, into account? Uh, personally, I would like to hope they look into uh, Senti Pensamiento. Um Especially considering that is probably the first time I've gotten it right on the first try. <laughs> um, so I would like to hope that that's there. But I do definitely hope that people take the idea of building upon rationality, that we don't really need to focus so much on this, um, this need to be correct, I feel like is something that is very detrimental to us. And that we really need to incorporate a lot more emotion into... Uh, emotion and feeling into what we're doing because too often we either straight up deny it because it is seen as um, antithetical to you know logic which I think is the most bizarre dichotomy ever it doesn't make any sense um, as many dichotomies tend not to and also it is still very rooted depending on where you are in the hegemonic population so like it depends, like for me, it's largely rooted in a lot of very white European um, 
structures, specifically those that are, you know, wanting to assimilate into being a Western European or whatever is considered correct European, um, which is a very strange thing to watch from <laughs> from where I am. Um, and it's also very strange right now, considering, as we mentioned before, that Russia and Ukraine are currently happening and the conditional Europeanness of Ukrainians is being discussed. So like it, it is one of those things that I, I think we do need to kind of pay more attention to how these divisions are structured. We need to understand emotion. Um, we need to understand that there's nothing that is 100% correct in most cases, um, that we can be wrong and we should humble ourselves in knowing when we're wrong. And should I be wrong in anything I've said today, <laughs> that I am happy if someone tells me. <laughs> Likewise. And I, I would love also our fellow anarchists to think that as much as we know that borders are just constructions that should be abolished, the same constructions within ourselves, uh, like, yeah, that difference between rationality and emotions, it just doesn't exist. It's not like that. And yeah, that's something also we should talk about. And I hope we can continue another day with this, uh, with this conversation or even more if we get some feedback and we can continue unlearning and learning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and other people are welcome to join us. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome. <laughs> and thanks, Nicole, for uh, yet another interesting and fun and uh, a conversation like we usually have all over the place. <laughs> Although a little bit more uh, stilted in terms of going back and forth because <laughs> we often talk over each other. But I really had fun and I appreciate this. So take care. <laughs>